0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you and good evening Real-life husband and wife team, Jim and Marian Jordan Took on the main characters of Fibber McGee and Molly I found this rather interesting little piece of memorabilia. While his wife was ill, Jim Jordan had been closing his radio shows by saying, Good night, Molly. Well, in early 1938, the Federal Communications Commission ordered him to stop, claiming it was a violation of a rule about using public airwaves or personal communications. After a few weeks' deliberation, the commission found that no regulations had been broken because Molly was the name of Marion Jordan's radio character. Jordan was then able to resume his good night, Molly, sign off. And now, Fibber's idea of world travel.
2: (laughs) The Johnson Wax program with Fibber, McGee, and Molly. makers of Johnson's wax, Johnson's car new, and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat present Biber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. things so badly they never fail to send their ever-loving wives into gales of scornful laughter. One, sew on buttons. Two, change the scenery on a baby. (laughs) And three, pack a suitcase. Get a load of number three as we meet, River McGee and Molly.
3: Hey, Molly, did you leave this suitcase of mine in a damp place someplace?
4: Why, of course not. Why?
3: Oh, it's shrunk. I can't get the stuff into it I used to get in. <laughs> Look, there's hardly room for my black shoes. Mm,
4: so I see. Are you packing your tan shoes, too?
3: I already got those in. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well,
4: what are you going to wear on the train? Just your socks? Huh?
3: Oh, my gosh. I packed both pair of shoes.
4: Sure you did. Oh, well.
3: It's just a short trip. I can wear my tennis shoes. <laughs>
4: Say you never did tell me why we were taking this trip to Middleton.
3: I got to see a friend of mine on some very important business. Now, let me see. I got my fishing tackle, my squirt gun.
4: What? Why the squirt
3: gun? That's in case we have to come home on a night train. I always get a berth above some guy that snores. Now, <laughs> see, what else? Hey, you better get packed, Molly. We haven't got much time. Say,
4: I've been packed for two hours, yes? and I still don't know why. You know, I have a sneaking suspicion this trip is silly and unnecessary.
3: What do you mean, unnecessary? I got to see a guy in Middleton that's home for a few days from Washington, and that may mean my whole future is at stake.
4: Your future? Yeah. Let's just sit here and live in the past.
3: <laughs> this is a necessary trip. This will affect the whole post-war travel industry of America.
4: You don't say.
3: I do indeed say. This but... is the correct, this is the greatest idea I ever had. In the years to come, the name of McGee is going to be anonymous with travel.
4: No. You mean
3: synonymous? I do not. Synonymous means moving pictures.
4: That's cinnamon. Huh? That's cinnamon.
3: Oh, horse feathers. Cinnamon is a spice that they never put enough of in apple pie.
4: No, that's cinnamon.
3: Cinnamon? Oh. I don't suppose you'd be thinking of those fish that swim up the Columbia River every year to pawn their young. <laughs>
4: No, you mean salmon, and you mean spawn, and I'm not thinking any such thing.
3: Well, then doggone it, what's anonymous?
4: Anonymous means without a name.
3: Exactly. Only now it's got a name, and the name is McGee. The McGee system of world travel.
4: Well, by an odd coincidence, my name is McGee, too. So would you mind breaking to me uh, gently, of course?
3: Very simple. (laughs) Just buy up a couple of old aircraft carriers. Yeah. Get a few planes and some good pilots, and whammo. I can land tourists anywhere in the world without even docking the boat. Get
4: it? Well, heavenly days, you've actually got an idea there, dearie. Why, of
3: you? course I have. It's going to revolutionize travel. <laughs> that's why this trip is so important. This is government business. Have we got time to have a little lunch?
4: No, we'll eat on the train. Oh. They say the dining cars are so crowded and so short of help now, it's hard to get anything eat, yeah. So I'm putting up a little box lunch for us.
3: Oh, that's swell. Just like old times.
4: Sure. You know, I feel guilty about uh, going on this trip, McGee. What do you mean, Guilty. Well, we shouldn't travel unnecessarily now. And if I stay home, that's one more seat for a soldier sailor. You
3: know? Oh, what do they got to do that's as important as what I got to do?
4: No, oh, just win the war is all—nothing urgent.
3: Oh, well. a <laughs> <laughs> couple of seats on a train ain't going to lose the war. Come on, get your grip, and we'll get over. Look, there.
4: McGee, why can't you do your business by mail or even by telegram?
3: Because this is a thing where I got to pound on a guy's desk and shout at him. You can't do that in all that. Just... Oh, for the love. We never started any place yet that we didn't have a few dear, dear friends drop in for a lovely, lovely chat. Yeah.
4: And the way they keep coming back after we brush them off, you'd think they were lint and we were blue serge. Come in. Hello, Miss
5: D. Hello, Mr. McGee.
4: (laughs) Hello, Mr. Wimple. Hi,
3: Wimple, man. I haven't got much time to bat the fat with you on account of we're grabbing the iron horse for Middleton in a few minutes. little business trip.
5: Really? Well, I may see you at the station then, folks. I'm going to meet a few trains. Sweetie Face has been away on a trip, you know. Oh, oh
4: what time is she coming in, Mr. Wimple?
5: Friday at 4.30. Well,
3: then what are you meeting today's trains for?
5: Oh, I just thought it would be fun to see some trains come in that didn't have Sweetie Face on them.
6: <laughs>
5: she sent me a postcard and said the trains were so crowded, it was no fun traveling now.
3: No, I guess not, Wimp. Between the Army and the Navy and the civilians, the railroads have bitten off about as much as they can choo
6: <laughs>
3: If you get what I mean, and you should, because that's one of my simpler jokes.
4: Say, <laughs> uh, uh, where's your wife been, Mr. Wimple? She
5: went to one of the Eastern Army camps, Mrs. McGee, oh. for a two-week special commando training course.
4: Oh.
6: <laughs> She's learning
5: 43 new ways to kill a man.
7: <laughs> New ways? Yes.
5: She knew 57 before she left and wanted to make it an even hundred. She's been gone ten days now.
4: Heavenly days.
5: Yes. Ten heavenly days.
4: Personally, Wimple, I'd be a touch
5: twitchy about living with a wife
3: if you'd bump me off in a hundred different ways.
5: Oh, I'm not afraid, Mr. McGee. (laughs) I have a few little tricks of my own. Such as what, Mr. Wimple? Oh... Such as hiding a little bottle of nitroglycerin. Hiding it where? <laughs> In her punching bag. <laughs> well, I'll probably see at the station. Goodbye now. So long. Huh? <laughs>
4: Did you ever see so many lads in uniform? Yeah. Every bench is full of
6: them. Yeah. And
3: they're all looking very thoughtful, too. This must be the army of preoccupation. <laughs> you get it, Molly? Thoughtful, preoccupation. It's a play on words, Ain't
4: isn't
3: funny, it? Ain't funny, McGee. <laughs> Ain't, huh? I gave Bob Hope three jokes about she was so fat that in trade it too.
4: By the way, did you make reservations for Middleton, dearie? They wouldn't make any
3: reservations. Said everything was full up. Our only chance is for somebody to make a cancellation.
4: Well, I told you we had no business traveling anywhere these days. Uh... Citizens ought to sit and let the troops have the trips.
3: Yeah, but I tell you, this is important stuff. The McGee system of post-war travel is one of the greatest ideas... Well, any...
4: hello there, kids. Going someplace? Hello, Mr. O'Brien. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yes, uh, McGee is going to see a man in Middleton about promoting an idea.
3: fellow from Washington, old-timer. He's a big man down there. That so? I got a cousin down in Washington, Johnny. He's a
6: bureaucrate. <laughs> no,
4: you mean
3: bureaucrat. No, bureau-crate. Huh? He crates bureaus for people that got no place to put their furniture.
6: <laughs>
7: Washington's pretty crowded now, kid.
3: Well, if this idea of mine goes the way I think it will, we'll most likely move into the White House, old-timer.
4: Yeah, and if it goes the way your ideas usually go, we'll move into the doghouse.
3: <laughs> anyway, if Washington is too crowded, I'll move my headquarters to New York. Getting kind of ahead of yourself, ain't you, Johnny? Huh? It's always been a big job for you to move your
4: hindquarters.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Is that so? Well, let me tell you, old now, man. Now,
4: take it easy, Bingey. Well, and you better be doing something about tickets or we won't go anyplace. Which will be all right with me.
3: Well, I won't keep you kids any longer. But if you'll take my advice, you'll get on to the streetcar and go home.
5: Oh, yeah? Yes,
3: sir. Look at all them boys in uniform. Had enough for them to be fighting Japs and Germans without having to fight Americans for a seat in the train. think it over, Johnny. (laughs) (laughs) Why, that nosy old grave digger. Here I am with the most important government project of the
4: century. Well, I think he's right, McGee. Your idea may be good, but it's not a government project. Well, neither
3: was the war until it was forced onto us. And this idea of mine is going to be the Pearl Harbor of transportation. It's going to wake people up. It's going to... Hey, let's get to the information desk while we've got a chance. All right, I'll
4: go with you and help you think up some funny questions.
3: (laughs) Hi, sis, what about trains to Middleton?
4: Yes. Yes, what, dearie? Yes, there are trains to Middleton.
3: Oh, Garnet, I know there's trains to Middleton, but when?
4: 1.32 a.m., 4.27 a.m., 8.50 a.m., 11 a.m., 2.56 p.m., 6.18 p.m., and midnight. Do you like to travel with the cream of society?
3: Absolutely, sis.
4: Then I'd suggest the Jersey Special at 4.27 a.m. That's the milk train. (laughs) <laughs> is it uh, true that the trains are pretty crowded right now, Deedre? Yes, madam But you must realize that space for civilian travel Is necessarily restricted because of troop movements and war business
3: Well, this is a fine state of how do you do Who's in charge of transportation for the government anyway? I'm going to write that guy a dirty letter
4: Mr. Joseph B. Eastman Oh, he'll help us We've been using one of his cameras for years
6: <laughs>
4: Splendid I'm sure he'll send you one of his best negatives excuse me, please. Yes. Well, looks like we'd be eating our box lunch right here in the station. It's an
3: outrage, that's what it is. My gosh, you'd think we were asking for a special train on a private track with a crew of cover girls. All we want is a seat on one of their sooty old (laughs) bone shakers.
4: You're being slightly
3: unreasonable, dearie. Unreasonable, my clavicle. Is it unreasonable? (laughs) Is it unreasonable to want to go a mere
4: 250 miles to transact some legitimate business? Certainly not, sweetheart. What if some soldier sailor does have to spend his 10-day furlough in a railroad station? Because some civilians grabbed all the accommodations. Oh,
6: well.
4: Maybe they like railroad stations. They can have fun playing red cap as long as they're left holding the bag anyway.
3: <laughs> well, you wait on the
2: McGee system of transportation. Well, hello there, folks. Where are you bound for? Hello,
4: Mr. Wilcox. Hi,
2: Junior. Do you smell something burning? No, what's burning? I am. <laughs>
4: He wants to go see a man in Middleton on business, Mr. Wilcox, and there's no space on the train. Yeah.
2: Well, what might he think there would be? You heard about the war, pal? Huh? You see, it all started when the Japs smacked us at Pearl Harbor. Oh, so then... Glennon,
3: of course I know about the war.
2: Well, then you ought to know better than to try to travel on trains these days, pal. They've got all they can handle with soldiers and sailors and government
3: employees and military supplies. I'm practically a government official myself, Wilcox. Or I will be as soon as they take a gander at my new transportation system. Yeah. <laughs>
4: And Mr. Wilcox, he won't be happy Till he gets that system out of his briefcase (laughs) Or gets that briefcase out of his system, either one
2: Well, well, take it easy, friend These days, railroads are like a kitchen linoleum Oh, my gosh, there he goes (laughs) When they have to handle too much traffic Something has to be done about it Now, with the railroads, they have to cut down on traveling with linoleum, the best treatment is Johnson's
3: self-polishing glowcoat You ever have a shoe come off in your hand dragging them in by the heels like that? <laughs>
2: protection, that's the answer. The railroads have to protect themselves against breakdowns and overloading by persuading people not to travel unnecessarily. Just like linoleum is protected against wear and dampness and grinding dirt particles by Johnson's glowcoat And I'll bet the railroads wish they had some system of protection as easy to use as glow coat. That they could just apply and let dry and have the whole job done in 20 minutes or less.
4: Say, what are you doing down here at the railroad station, Mr. Wilcox?
2: Well, I was waiting for somebody. Who? You.
4: What'd you want to see McGee about?
2: I had a message for him. Well, give it to me. What was the message? Oh, the usual one about Johnson's glow coat. I just gave it to you. So long (laughs) now.
4: (laughs) You know, he's getting so he follows you all over town just to tell you about Johnson's products, dearie. Yeah,
3: I know, I know. He keeps hoping he'll floor me, and the minute he does, I'll be glow-coated from scalp to scupper. <laughs> I sometimes think
4: he'd... Look, McGee, here's your chance to get to the ticket window. Huh? Oh, oh, come on, hurry much. Hi, Bud. Thank hey, you. Uh, Middleton,
3: sir. Sorry, sold out. Uh, but look, Bud, this is a very important uh, government business. I'm. Oh, I'm... don't give me that government business business, brother. I've heard all the switches on that gag.
4: Yeah, but if you have any cancellations on the train to Middleton... If
3: I do, lady, you're number 739 in line for him. Why don't you go home and bake a cherry pie? Don't you talk that way to my wife, you big rubber stamp rassler. You keep a simple tongue between your teeth while you still got teeth. I got a good notion. Move along, that... please. Next.
4: Well, personally, McGee, I'm convinced. Well, I'm
3: not. I got a legitimate reason for
4: traveling. And by the cast-iron cow catcher of Casey Jones, I'm going to get to Uh-oh. McGee, here comes Mrs. Upping.
3: Oh, fine. That's all I needed. (laughs) One look at that prune, pussed old powder pigeon, and I'm as happy as a flea in a fox farm.
4: If that superannuated old water spot... Hush, hush. I'll admit she's a nuisance. Ah, hello there, Abigail, darling. It's so nice. Uh, How do you do, Mr. McGee? And Mr. McGee? (laughs) Hi. What on earth is the matter with you, Mr. McGee? What the perhaps you're having the same difficulty I am. Well, he's got his nose out of joint because he can't get a seat on a train, Abigail. It's
3: ridiculous, that's what it is. Keeping a businessman off the train when he's got the greatest transportation idea of the century in his briefcase, and he can... Hey, where's my briefcase?
6: Uh, under your arm, Mr. McGill. Uh, where? Which
4: arm? It's your left arm. Huh? No, the other one.
3: Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think there's spies around here, Molly. <laughs> I'd have swore I had this briefcase under the other arm. <laughs>
4: uh, are you traveling with important documents, Miss McGee? Well, he isn't exactly traveling, Abigail, but he has a pretty good ID in that briefcase. What do you
3: mean, pretty good? Look, Uppy, you've done a lot of traveling, haven't you? Oh,
4: I have indeed, Miss McGee. I have circumnavigated the globe three times. Not only that, but she took a trip around the world once, too, McGee.
6: <laughs>
3: well, then you ought to be a judge, Uppy. Look, what if you could get on a boat in New York? Sail for two days, hop in an airplane, and land anywhere you wanted to in Europe inside of six or eight hours.
4: Then well, why not take an airplane in the first place? I imagine after the war, the clippers will go almost everywhere. Heavenly days, I never thought of that. Ah, but I did.
3: With the McGee system, Uppy, you don't have to depend on regular schedules, see? Make up your mind the last minute, and go any place you want to, in practically your own private plane.
4: He's got the idea all worked out, and he wants to go see a man from Washington who's in Middleton, Abigail.
3: Yes, and I can't get a seat on one of their flat-wheeled old cinder buckets. Imagine that. Me, the greatest brain in the transportation industry. Ain't
4: that that all I have? I think it's splendid. Huh? Why, Abigail? Mrs. McGee, I came down here to meet my nephew, who was in the Marines. He had five days' liberty before leaving the country. And what happened? what happened? I just received a wire that he had to go back to camp because there was no room on the train. And why? Because selfish, unthinking, me first civilians have taken all the extra space. So don't complain to me about your petty troubles, Mr. McGee. If you insist on being bullheaded, why don't you take a cattle car?
6: Goodbye. <laughs>
2: The King's man sang In My Arms. His cousin had
7: sent him a sweater, and his sister wrote a letter. But he wanted something much better, this boy who was sailing away. For his buddies were there with their sweethearts, all around him with their sweethearts. Now he never had any sweethearts, and over and over he'd say, In My Arms. In my arms, ain't I never going to get a girl in my arms? In my arms, in my arms, ain't I never going to get a bundle of charms? Comes the dawn, I'll be gone, I just got to have a honey holding me tight. You can't keep your knitting and your Berlin if I'm going to go to Berlin. Give me a girl in my arms tonight. In my arms, in my arms, ain't I never going to get, get a girl in my arms? In my arms my arms, never gonna gonna get a bundle of charms, comes the dawn, I'll be gone, all those presents you gave me were right, oh that's what I really ought to wear, well thought I could use a warmer farewell, give me a girl in my arms tonight, comes the dawn, I'll be gone, and back home everybody help all your might. If it's really your ambition to pass a little ammunition, give me a girl in my arms tonight. Comes the dawn, I'll be gone, and there ain't a pretty little armful inside. I've got photographs to pin up, but if you want to keep my chin up, give, give me a, a girl, girl in my arms tonight. In my arms, in my arms. Ain't I never gonna get a girl in my
6: arms?
7: In my arms, in my arms. Get a bundle of charm Comes the dawn, I'll be gone Now I've been around and seen every side. If I had a girl I wouldn't trifle But who can hug and kiss a rifle Give me a girl in my arms Give me a girl in my arms Give me a girl in my arms Tonight, night.
6: Fine
3: thing. guy with legitimate business to transact somebody with. Can't even get a seat on a train. It's a dirty imposition. Pushed around like a hobnailed peasant. It's discriminatory, that's what it is. I'm a patient man, but by joy... Oh,
4: stop your grousing, McGee. Well, gee whiz... Anybody think this war was a plot against you personally? The railroads now are for soldiers and sailors who want to go places and do things. Not for people like us who just want to go places.
3: Well, my gosh, I don't... You asked
4: the man about the cancellations? Yes, and all I got
3: was an evasive answer. Told me to go stuff an ostrich. (laughs) I got a good notion. Oh! Oh, there's Doc Gamble. Hi, Doc. Hello, there, McGee. Hello, Mrs. McGee. Meeting somebody? No,
4: Doctor. We're trying to get a seat on the train to Middleton. Without any spectacular success so far.
3: Is it a matter of life and death that you go to Middleton? Well, no, but, gee... Then why don't you stay home?
4: But you see, doctor... All I
3: can see is a lot of home-hating hobos with more money than cents cluttering up the country's transportation system with their little penny-ante projects and their fishing trip. Huh? A lot of short-sighted stoops with ants in their itineraries. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but look, doc, I got a very important hunk of business to transact a guy with. It'll, It'll mean a great deal to this government after the war. It ain't right that I'm being kept off a train just because a lot of other people haven't got sense enough to stay home. Is it? Take off your shirt, McGee. (laughs) There you go again. Take off your shirt. Take off. What for? Just for a gag, I want to stuff it in your mouth to keep you from talking about how important you are. (laughs) Why, when I see self-inflated little big shots keeping servicemen from getting seats on trains, keeping them from seeing their families before they go someplace to save the country for people like you... It gives the Darwinian theory a beautiful new meaning. We've certainly descended from
7: monkeys. Good day.
3: What's a Darwinian theater got to do with monkeys?
4: You know, I'd hate to be a doctor and understand people as well as he does.
3: Yeah. What a bedside manner. (laughs) Take a crab apple a day to keep that doctor away.
4: (laughs) Stand alongside McGee. Yes. A train just came in. We'll get trampled in the rush. Boy,
3: look at him. Hurrying and scurrying like a swarm of. Oh, my gosh, there's Don Stoffer. Who's Don Stoffer? He's the guy from Washington. I was going to go to Middleton to see about my idea. Hey, Don! Hey! Oh, hello there, McGee. Glad to see you. Molly, this is Mr. Stoffer. Stoffy old man, with my wife.
4: How do you do, I'm sure?
3: How do you do? Sorry, I can't stop and talk, McGee. Have an appointment in ten minutes. Uh, but look, I got the most wonderful idea. Uh, write but... me a letter about it. I'm working on a very important project right now.
4: Something secret?
3: Well, not necessarily. We're thinking of buying up all aircraft carriers after the war and using them for ocean tourist travel. Carry a lot of small planes and land people anywhere in the world in just a few hours. <laughs> well, nice to have seen you, McGee. <laughs> Hope we'll meet again, Mrs. McGee. If you'll excuse me now, i just
8: Well,
6: how do you like
4: that? They stole my idea! They picked my brain. Oh, no, they didn't either, dearie. Somebody else was bound to think of it. After all, there are other people in the world that are just as smart as you are.
3: Yeah, I suppose they are. (laughs) Gee whiz, I had a swell. Hey,
4: McGee, I'm all worn out with all this stand around. Let's sit down on the bench and open up the lunch. It's so late that we'll
3: have to... Oh, my gosh. Molly,
4: the lunch. Look. Look where? That guy over
3: there. He's eating our lunch right out of a shoebox. I'll fix him.
2: But McGee, you must. Hey, have... you! You big lunch snapper! What do you think you're doing? That's the problem have the book I
6: stabbed before the
3: A likely story. You got a lot of nerve grabbing our lunch. Now,
4: McGee, please. Doggone
3: it! If he was that hungry, I'd have bought him a sandwich. You put that box down, you pickle thief, or I'll dribble your skull around the station like a basketball.
2: As the former basket craft, you must never for the grab yeah <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: McGee, leave him alone. He's a foreigner. He doesn't understand. And besides... Besides I...
3: nothing. I'll teach him to sabotage our sandwiches. Drop that grub, bub, And I'll give you a lesson in the manly
4: art of assault and battery. Come on, now. you <laughs> say... <laughs>
3: Hey, come back here, you. You just come back here and I'll beat up a junior out of. No, no. Let
4: him go, McGee. He's dropped the lunch. Here. No. He hardly touched it. Poor fellow was scared to death. Now, ah. sit down and calm yourself. Okay.
3: Let me take a sandwich.
4: Help yourself.
3: Mmm, this looks good. Garlic sausage on rye bread.
4: I'll have one. What? Garlic sausage on rye bread.
3: Yeah. Want a bite? It's wonderful. You sure put up a swell lunch, baby. I could eat it sitting here.
4: This isn't our lunch. I just remembered I left ours in the taxi
3: cab. You you mean that guy wasn't? He he didn't. Uh, I shouldn't. You hadn't. Oh, sure. Ladies and gentlemen, when you have sons and brothers, yes, and sisters and daughters in the service, it's nice to have them come home when and if they can. And it's heartening to know that the railroads of this country are doing a tremendous job of transporting essential military and civilian supplies. So let's not get in their way. Let's not do any traveling that isn't absolutely necessary.
4: That's right. The fish will still be biting and the scenery will still be here after the war. So let's all pack our suitcases back in the clock. Good night. Good night, all. The characters of Wallace Wimple and the old
2: timer heard on our program were played by Bill Thompson. This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for the makers of Johnson Wax Finishes for Home and Industry, inviting you all to join us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company.
1: Stay tuned for Gunsmoke, next on Theater of the Mind. And now, William Conrad stars as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal.
9: Around Dodge City and in the Territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad The story of the violence that moved west with young America The story of a man who moved with it Matt Dillon, United States Marshal.
10: It was the dust. The heat was bad enough in Dodge City, but out on the plain, it was the dust. The sun was a burning red-brown chip in the sky, and the sweat on a man never had a chance to drop. It was blotted and dried with dust. Doc Chester and I had ridden to old man Gore's place ten miles out. He'd had some trouble with one of the hands. The fellow had gone loco with liquor and had been shooting up the cattle. We found him, stripped naked nearby on his haunches, crying, drunk over a arched waterhole. Doc had got him to bed and fixed him up some. And now we were heading back for Dodge. Darn horse.
8: Seems he's just bound to stomp all the dust and Kansas in my eyes.
3: <laughs> Maybe the Marshal will buy you a camel, Chester.
8: This keeps up, we'll all buy camels. I remember the time back in Waco when I was just Dar, a small
10: Chester, boy. You see something ahead on the side of the trail there? Um, uh,
8: yeah, maybe. It looks like some poor calf strayed off
10: and dropped. I don't think so. Yeah, it looks like a man. Come on! Chester, get the water bag. Yes, sir.
3: Yeah, let me have a look, Marshal. Yeah. Let's
8: see. Heat. Is he all right? Depends on how long he's been lying here.
0: Here you are, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. Huh. Open up his shirt, Marshal.
8: Chester, get some of that water on his wrist. All but. right.
10: He looks like an Easterner, huh?
8: Sure not dressed for this country. Mm. Oh, no, that's better. That's better. Try to get a few drops in him. All right, no, not too much,
10: Chester. With not in his nose, Chester's mouth. Well, my
8: gracious, I'm sorry, Mr. Dillon, but he moved his head. It's not so easy to hey. Look, he's awake.
10: Mm. You're all right, Mister. Just take it easy for a bit now.
8: Oh,
11: that this too, too solid flesh would
8: melt, fall. Oh. And resolve itself into a Jew. What did he say? Oh, it's out of his head, Chester.
11: For oh, this relief, much
10: thanks. Forget it. Jester, get around the other side and shade him from the sun. Yes. Um, she- the
11: sun. I begin to be a weary of the sun.
10: I don't blame you. Yeah. What happened?
11: The wagon. Shed a wheel, I fear, along the high road. I know not where I am.
10: Uh, you're about four miles out of Dodge City, uh, Kansas.
12: Kansas.
11: Uh, I would give all my fame for a pot of ale and
12: safety. You better get him to town quick. He's in a bad area,
10: You think you can make it on a horse? We'll take you into. We'll take him into Dodge. And he passed out again. We tied him across Doc's horse. Doc and I doubled up and Chester rode behind. The stranger was a tall, skinny man with a face like a friendly mule. Big hands and thin wrists stretched out from his sleeves. He had no papers on him. Nothing. Until he woke up, we wouldn't even know his name. Doc settled him down in the back of his place, and he was still asleep when Chester and I rode out to where we figured he'd left his wagon. Wasn't hard to see when we found it. What color wagon would you call that, Mr. Dillon? Puce, Chester. Puce. I guess so. Seems to be some writing on the side there. Yeah. Oh, Irving Henry, thespian supreme, disciple of the immortal bard. Hmm. You should have known he was a religious man. Uh, He's an actor, Chester, the immortal bard. Shakespeare, William Shakespeare, wrote plays, poems. Ah, ah.
8: you think he let the horses go, Mr. Dillon? I was
10: wondering that. Seems to me he'd have ridden for help instead of trying to walk.
8: Horses couldn't have got out of the harness ourselves. Let's take a look at the wheel. Wish we could wait till the sun goes down. It's going to be awful hot work, Mr. Dillon.
10: (coughs) It's not too bad. The pen fell out. Must be another in the box at the back. Take a look, will you, Chester? Yes, sir. I'll prop the wheel up here. Now. Mr. Dillon? Yeah, can't you find it?
8: Will you come here a minute?
10: Uh, What's the matter?
9: Take a look in there. It took a second
10: or two to get used to the darkness inside the wagon... Then I saw the hand sticking out from behind the trunk. You didn't have to be the doc to know that it was a dead hand. The body was of a man about 40. He was dirty. And in a greasy, torn waistcoat, I found a pocketbook with his name. Sam Matchett. And that was all. Below his left shoulder and his back was a patch of dried blood. And in the middle... A bullet hole. We got the wagon wheel on, hitched up our horses, and drove into Dodge. Doc.
3: Oh, that's you, Marshal. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll be right out. All right. Get that fellow's wagon fixed up.
10: Yeah, I brought it in. Is he awake?
3: Oh, I haven't looked in the last half hour. I was making coffee. You want some?
10: Uh, no thanks. Oh, it's
5: funny thing about coffee when it's hot weather like this. Brinkett's called in and it makes you feel cooler outside. Uh, Look,
10: Doc, I got to see that fellow. I want to ask him a couple of questions. Why, so? I found a dead man in the back of his wagon. You don't say? You better take a look. Chester's bringing him in the side.
0: Oh, sure, sure, sure. You
9: want to go on back? Uh, Yeah, thanks, Doc.
10: Mr. Henry? Mr. Henry, wake up. Yeah, what? Oh, your name, Irving Henry.
11: Oh. oh, Irving Henry. What is this place?
10: Now, you've got to listen to me for a minute. We found your wagon. Ah? Uh-huh. Did you let the horses go before you sat on your own? Of course.
11: I could not let them remain to
10: die. Well, how come you didn't take one to ride?
11: <laughs> I have a loathing of horses. I cannot bear one under my body. <coughs> There is a carafe of water beside the bed. Would you be good enough, uh, Mr. Uh, uh,
10: Dillon, Matt Dillon? I'm the marshal here in Dodge City. Hear you? Are. Oh, my thanks. Now, what were you doing with a dead man in your wagon, Mr. Henry? A dead man? A dead man shot in the back, lying in your wagon. This is very Midsummer Madness. I won't argue about that, but I'll thank you to answer my question. But it is impossible. It isn't true. I say it is.
11: You lie in your throat if you say that I'm any other than an honest man.
10: Look, mister, I didn't say you weren't honest. You're an actor. you got a fine way of saying things, but murder's murder. I don't care how you say it. Now, I'm asking questions, and I want straight answers.
11: Your pardon, sir. What you tell me... In truth, if it were played upon a stage, I would condemn it as an improbable fiction. I swear to you, I know nothing of a body.
10: Did you come through Hayes City? Yes. Do you know a man there called Sam Matchett? No. You had no trouble in Hayes City? No. What are you doing in these parts, Mr. Henry?
11: Uh, I'm... I am touring the provinces. An actor. Eating the bitter bread of banishment. And the talents are not taken for their worth in the East. And therefore, I bring the immortal bard to the hinterlands. And now, sir, that the interview is ended,
8: pray give me leave to depart.
10: I'm sorry, I can't do that. You'll have to stay until we get this thing cleared Mr. up. Mr. Dillon,
8: Doc would like to see you.
10: Ah, all right, Chester. Stay here with Mr. Henry, will you? Well, sure, Mr. Dillon, sure.
8: How are you feeling by now, Mr. Henry?
11: like
7: more wine. Evil live in Doc. Right here, yeah.
8: What'd you find? Well, there's one thing. This man didn't die right away. I mean, not right when he was shot. Is that so? No. More likely blood to death. Inside.
10: Uh-huh. Uh, you think he might have been able to climb up in the wagon after he was shot? Oh, my.
0: There's another thing. Yeah. You see the way he's dressed? Now, hey, you take a look at that. Oh, what what hell? Come on. Come on, Doc.
6: <laughs> Chester.
10: Oh, well, what's the matter with him? Chester. My gun when I was pouring
8: him some water. Mr. Dillon. He must have gone through the window, Marshal. I, I tried to
6: get it back.
10: Wendell. Take care of Chester, Doc. I'm going after him. <laughs> out of there, I didn't know how badly Chester was hurt. There was a lot of blood on his head and over his face. It was nearly dark outside and the street was empty. It was supper time. I could see the women through the windows getting food ready. The kids were inside too. Sure looked peaceful. But with Henry out with a gun, well that wasn't a good thing to have running around loose and dodge. Did you see a man run down the street, Miss Fletcher? I well, know. Well, you better get inside and lock your door. Don't come out again. There's a killer loose. I walked the length of the street, listening, waiting. When I got to the end, there was nothing. He hadn't taken a horse, I'd have heard that. And in a way, I was sorry, because if he'd tried to hide and dodge, there'd be no way to get out of shooting that wouldn't get women and kids hurt. A breeze came up, and swirls of dust flew around. Then settled as the air became still and hot again. I went back to Doc's place.
3: Oh. Did you find him, Marshal?
10: No. How's Chester?
8: Oh, I'm fine, Mr. Dillon.
10: Just creased my head more mess than hurt. Oh, good, Chester. Uh, look, you want to go home or you want to work? I want to work. All right. Go down to the office, get yourself another gun, and round up some men, as many as you can. As long as Henry stays in town, we're in trouble. Now, keep your eyes open. Meet me back here. Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon. I'll take my gun with you, and if you see him, watch out. All right, now get going. Yes, sir. Now, Doc, I'm going to have to make you a deputy, too.
5: Well, (laughs) Well, maybe instead of digging out
3: bullets, I'll be putting some in.
10: It's not funny, Doc. Come on. All right, we'll start here. I'll take this side, you take the other. Get the men to go through their houses and tell them to look for their horses. Tell them what's happening. But ten o'clock that night, as far as we could tell, Henry hadn't left town. There were plenty of places for him to hide, though. We had 50 men out searching. Chester and I were working along back of the express office. There were a couple of houses there we hadn't covered.
8: You wouldn't think a man like that would be a killer, now would
10: you, Mr. Dillon? I never saw a man yet. Couldn't be, Chester. Depends on your reasons for killing, I guess. Now, let's take a look behind these boxes, huh?
8: You think he could have got this far?
10: Yeah, I might. A lot of back streets to sneak around the dark. That's Miss Cullen's place there, no? Yes, sir. Looks like she's still awake. Light burning back there. Yeah. <clears throat>
6: <clears throat>
8: Seem a bit cooler to you tonight, Mr. Dillon?
10: Yeah, a bit. Evening, Miss Cullen. I'm sorry to get you up, but we're looking for a man, a stranger around. He's tall, thin. You seen anyone about tonight? No. No, I haven't. Uh-huh. Uh, how, how's the kids?
12: Oh, they're fine. Thank you, Mr. Dillon. Fine.
10: Uh-huh. Well, you keep the place locked tight, Miss Cullen. Don't let anybody in tonight unless you know who it is.
4: All right. Good night, Mr. Dillon.
10: Good night, ma'am.
8: Well, now, that's strange. She didn't even say hello to me, and I know her better than you do, Mr. Dillon.
10: Chester, round up the others. Get them over here. I don't know why she... He's in there with her. I think he's got the kids in the sleeping room. Oh. Sent her out to get rid of us. Now, I'm going to try and get in. Don't do anything when you come back. Just put the men around the house. Yes, sir. I'd seen Miss Cullen make a move with her head... And her eyes said the rest. When I told her to lock up, I shook my head, and I hope she understood. I wanted that front door to stay open. I
12: keep as soon as I
10: can. He was in there, all right. I could hear him. Me. My is I wanted right. him alive. Both but I wasn't going to risk hurt to Miss Cullen call call or the kids knowledge. getting him. Please.
5: I did what you asked.
11: Don't hurt the children, please. They
12: will never know this night. In the morning, when they're awake. What's that? The you said knocked the door off.
6: No, don't. Don't.
12: I shall keep the pistol turned to the girl's head. Someone is here. They're trying to take me.
6: Who is it? Who? Mr. Dillon, go away. Please. He'll kill us.
12: You lied, you lied, your tiger's heart wrapped in a woman's hide. Listen to me, Marshal Dillon, throw your pistol in here, and then come in with your hands before you. I have no stomach for child killing, but I will not hesitate to
0: do so.
10: Now, give me the gun, Henry. No. You won't be able to get out of this. I must.
12: There is living to be done.
10: You know, that fancy talk isn't going to help either. Now, why don't you climb down? What happened to Matchett?
12: Nothing happened to Match.
10: Why'd you kill him? I didn't. In five minutes or less, there'll be 50 men or more around here. Now, what are you going to do? I don't know. You didn't kill Matchett? You'll get a chance. I'll see to that. There's no use going on this way. Give me the gun.
12: I cannot. It is my prop of salvation.
10: No gun is salvation to anybody. Put it down.
12: You must tell the men to go away, Marshal Dillon. I'll have to take one of these children with me for my protection. <laughs> no. <laughs> Shed a tear for me, madam. I have the greater need.
10: You do a lot of talking, mister. I'd like to see you turn the gun away from that kid's head. That'd take more than talk, wouldn't it, though?
12: I have no skill
10: with such a weapon.
12: Why should I match with you? I want to live.
10: You're going about it the wrong way.
12: The smallest worm will turn, being trod upon. Meaning? You gave me no choice when you brought me here. Would have been better to have left me lying in the dust. You don't understand. You don't know. Well,
10: why don't you tell me?
12: What good would it do? It depends. My life has been the theatre. As a boy I I was a student of Shakespeare. <laughs> he would look at me. Who would accept this face for Hamlet? This ill shape of body for Romeo. <laughs> His speech has become my speech, and the fools only look. They cannot listen for laughing.
10: There have been ugly men before you and Hasn't been cause for murder. Why'd you kill Matchett?
12: In New York, there was a man, a gross, stupid man, who fancied himself an interpreter of the Bard. He, he took me, me, as his apprentice. And together we set out for the tour I would play only the voices, never Richard, never Henry, never Leo, only only the voices, whilst he, stumbling, drunken, he muddled and tore to a tattle
10: the words that I should have spoken. You killed a man because you wanted to play a hero?
12: How easily murder is discovered. Yes, sometimes, I guess. It was yesterday. We were leaving Hayes City. We played there for two days, and it made me a laughing stock. It was night and he became drunk and threatened to leave me in the next town. I made him stop the wagon, and taking up a pistol, I shot him. He did not die at first. When I saw what I had done, I I wanted him to live. And I put him into the wagon, and I drove on, hoping to find a doctor. Then, as as the night passed, I saw that he had
10: died. And I was afraid. The wagon broke down?
12: Yes. I, I put my purse into his clothes and took his name for mine. How I've hated the name of Sam Matchett.
10: But you wouldn't understand. I wouldn't? Well, so what now?
12: I want to live. I want my
10: child. You've done a murder. I can't let you go, you know that. Don't make it harder.
12: I lost my husband two years ago.
5: I know what it is to be alone. You've been alone, haven't you? I'm sorry. But you killed
6: someone.
12: We may pity, though not pardon, eh? <laughs> I'm going now, Marshal.
10: If you walk out of there with your gun, you're a dead man. Uh, death's a
12: great disguiser. I must have my chance. <laughs>
10: Don't do it, Matchett. There'll be killing. Madam, forgive
12: me. I would not have harmed your children.
10: Matchett, put down your gun.
12: Let me go my way. Please.
10: There are a lot of men waiting for you out there, Matchett. You know what'll happen if you open the door. Don't do it, Matchett.
12: As the rub for in that sleep of death, what dreams may
10: come. Matches. He knew he was going to die. The minute he opened that door, he knew it. And maybe he wanted to, because he fired first a single shot. We buried him in back of the church, and I found some words in a book to put on his grave. He that dies pays all debts.
9: Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman Macdonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Anthony Ellis, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Hans Conrad was featured as Henry, with Mary Lansing as Mrs. Cullen. Parley Bear is Chester and Howard McNear is Doc. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Boy Rowan speaking remember gangbusters going to action Saturday nights on the CBS radio
1: network thanks for listening tonight and in fact all this week my thanks to Joel Schollenwell for technical support and executive producer Moses Neimer I'm Frank Proctor. Have a happy new year. See you next year. This podcast is proudly
0: produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.